Hey everyone, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com and welcome to another Bike James podcast. Today I'm going to have a recap of the Perform Better 3-Day Functional Training uh, Summit, I think is what they call it, uh, out in Long Beach that I went to a couple of weeks ago. And it's basically a gathering of a lot of the uh, top coaches in the uh, strength and conditioning world and, uh, and you know, presentations and and hands-on demos of the latest and greatest of what's going on so it was a chance for me to go and reconnect with uh some some people that i hadn't seen in a while and also just kind of see where the uh training world kind of the functional training world if you will uh you know specifically as perform better was presenting it um you know where where it was i hadn't been to one of these in a few years and so i was interested to kind of see what was being presented and talked about and so uh yeah it was a good time obviously uh any chance you get to go to long beach is a a good excuse uh they put it on at the convention center there so nice area of town down there by the ocean and uh again it's a, a great event they got it going on um from friday friday saturday and sunday you've got two speakers going on with also two hands-on demos so a lot going on to choose from so uh, they do a good job of, of putting on a, a good event that's definitely well worth the money to go check out. But uh, I wanted to share, like I said, kind of a recap some of the notes that I got from some of the presentations and also uh, my big takeaways and, and kind of how I, uh, when I, when I left, kind of some of the things going through my head uh, about you know what I'd seen and, and where I think things are headed or, or should be headed uh, to kind of help progress the, uh, the, the training movement, the functional training movement, which again is an overused term, but I think if we go back to, you know, what we're, when we use that term, it's usually referring to the movement that occurred where we were trying to get away from bodybuilding and where we were training by anatomy, you know, biceps and triceps. And, you know, that was the world that I came up in. And then this functional training movement was trying to get away from that, you know, saying, hey, not, you know, bodybuilders may be athletes, which, you know, we can debate that, but, you know, definitely not all athletes are bodybuilders. And so uh, there's a difference in how you want to train. And so the idea of the functional training movement and and, uh, stuff like this um, is to try and, and look at what are the best ways to train and then have that transfer over to the real world because that's the big thing like you know there's a saying uh you know i think that dan john either coined it or helped popularize it but uh you know looks like tarzan plays like jane and that was what people were finding was happening a lot of times with bodybuilding uh, style training techniques for athletes is that they were looking better but they weren't necessarily performing any better and so the whole idea was well how do we uh, use training to help increase function as opposed to just trying to get bigger muscles. And so, you know, again, it's a broad term. It's been bastardized quite a bit and, and you know, applied to a lot of different things. But when I use that term, that that's what I'm referring to is kind of that quest as a coach to find the best ways to have what you're doing in the gym or, you know, wherever you're training, your, your, you know, your, uh, um, whether it be at home or at a gym, whatever it is, have that transfer over both to your sport, which for us is mountain biking, and also to real life and, and being able to function better there. So uh, anyways, with that in mind, um, some of the, the presentations that I went to and the things that I, uh, some of the notes that I got, um, the first one that I went to that I got some notes from 
was by a gentleman named Robert Yang, and he went over the keto diet. And it was, uh, I, I was interested to see what his take on this was because keto is definitely one of the big buzzwords in the nutrition industry, especially with endurance athletes these days. And so I wanted to kind of see what his thoughts were. And the uh, really, um, I'll tell you one of my big takeaways that uh, I had from the whole thing came from this presentation, which is that the the keto is very misunderstood and it's also very overrated as far as its value for most people. And so, you know, to start, a keto diet is, if you're going real keto, uh, it's really a difficult thing to do. You're looking at 90% fat and 10% everything else, which is really an oil-based diet. And people forget a lot of times that these diets were researched using uh, kids with epilepsy. So like when you are having seizures and well, you're uh, willing to go to extremes with your diet. And so for a lot of people, achieving a true ketogenic state uh, is very hard if you're trying to follow like a true ketogenic diet. So really what a lot of people are following is a modified ketogenic diet where they have a little bit more of that everything else and it's not quite as strict with the 90-10. Um, and, and really the goal of it is to try and, uh, well again, there's there's two things here. And this is one of the things that uh, uh, Robert was, was pointing out is that lowering your insulin levels is probably more important than raising your ketone levels. And, and people think that these two things are synonymous, but they're not necessarily synonymous, especially with the introduction of exogenous, you know, uh, you know, ketone salt supplements, where you can take them and artificially raise the blood, your your blood ketone levels, and so measuring where you're at just based on ketone levels, it doesn't give you a complete picture. Really, if, if you haven't lowered your insulin levels, then you're not getting what you want. And if you lower your insulin levels, for most people that is going to give you the results that you're looking for without having to actually go into a ketogenic state and have those raised ketone levels as well. And so it was it really that was the my big takeaway is that the focus is still on controlling insulin levels and that a ketogenic diet is really just a, an extreme way to do that. Like, yes, your body starts running on ketones, but it should be doing that because of the extremely low insulin levels that you're, that you have because you're not taking in any carbohydrates or anything like that. So that's really the, the goal for most people. He also pointed out that the ketogenic diet, it doesn't work for everyone. And so you definitely want to pay attention to how it makes you feel. For some reason, women don't do as well on it as men do. Uh, you also find that body types uh, matter. And so realistically, um, a lot of people who are cyclists tend to be the, the, um, the ectomorph body type. And that body type doesn't necessarily do as well on the ketogenic diet. And so, uh, again, there's, you know, my opinion of it is that it can be a valuable tool for the right person, but a, a lot like high level techniques that people use in in high levels of sport 
it gets a little overplayed as far as its value to the general public. And so for most of us, you know, pretty much most everyone listening to this, your best bet is going to be some sort of, uh, you know, like paleo or Mediterranean or, you know, really you want to find everyone's individual, right? There's not one thing that's going to work for everyone. So you need to uh, find what is going to make you feel and perform the best. But at its heart, a lot of the successful diets, well, pretty much all the successful diets have this lowering the insulin levels by really cutting back on the refined carbs, the sugars, and focusing mainly on vegetables and fruits. And so to me, that's that's still the thing. Like People love to, to argue about the details, but um, like a lot of things, it comes back to the basics. And you know, if, if going keto helps you do it because you have this goal and, and mentally that helps you achieve it, well, then there's value in that. I, I'm not going to argue that, but I don't think that it's necessary for the vast majority of people out there to achieve a healthy, uh, you know, and high-performing body. And so, uh, one of the things I did like, just you know, real quick, is he pointed out that a lot of these ketone supplements, the the, the uh, ketone salt the, to raise your ketones, they're billed as energy supplements. A lot of them have caffeine, and this is just a, a, a supplement 101. If anything says it's going to give you more energy and you flip it over and you read the ingredients and you see caffeine and or green tea. Uh, there's a couple other, I think, but those are the two big ones. Uh, green tea is how they kind of sneak caffeine into some of these supplements because some people don't realize that that is caffeine. But if you see that in those supplements, like that's it. Everything else in there is pretty much just, you know, there for window dressing. Like the caffeine is what's giving you the energy. And so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're taking these ketone uh, supplements and saying like, oh, they're giving me energy, you can save some money and just get like caffeine, uh, you know, drink a, a, an espresso or even just get caffeine pills and use them. Um, and, and get the same effect. But uh, anyways, just a kind of a, a general supplement tip in uh, there just for these energy supplements. Take a look at what they got in them. So the other, uh, the next one that I got some notes from, which was uh, really interesting, was from a guy named Brett Contreras, who's known as the glute guy. And he is he's literally dedicated his life to the study of the glutes, which, uh, yes, he has actually turned it into uh, a pretty glamorous thing because his glute squad that he trains um, or is a group of not bad looking ladies who are really dedicated to achieving better looking glutes. But the side effect of all of this is that uh, your glutes are also the powerhouse for your lower body and, and athletic movement. And, and so your glutes and hamstrings working at the hip joint, that's again, like I said, that's it. That's, that's the center of, of athletic power right there. And so improving glute strength is vital to improving your athletic uh, potential. And so that's one of the reasons that deadlifts and kettlebell swings and things like that are so popular is because that hip hinge movement pattern is uh, really uses the, the hips. That's why it's called the hip hinge because you're using the glutes and the hamstrings to extend the hips from that position more than you do in the squat. And so, but Brett is, uh, he does a lot of research, a ton of research. It's really kind of uh, almost um, Rain Manian of him to uh, how much research he does, but he is dedicated to the glutes. So God love him there. I appreciate that dedication. 
But what he's found is some some interesting things. Uh, the the big takeaways for me from his talk were uh, two things. One is that the the glute bridge, or as he is uh, you know calls it the hip thrust. Um, we used to call it the bridge on bench. It's basically an exercise where you're doing a weighted bridge, right? So you have your back against a bridge, a bridge. You have your back against a bench, and then you're able to bridge up. And at the top, you're achieving like a table, uh, you know, position. And this allows you to put weight, like put a a barbell or something on your hips. And so you come up, and at the top, you're locked out, and it allows you to load a bridge. It's basically a loaded bridge. And so what he's found is that the bridge is it deserves a place with squat and hip hinge as core lower body movements and it needs to be trained as such. So it doesn't need to be kind of this afterthought thing. It literally deserves a third or more of your lower body training time when it comes to working on the hips. Uh and so you know that for me was uh, it was interesting. Like I said, he's done a lot of research and shown that that bridge definitely works. Different muscles, well, you know, it, it emphasizes different muscles and uses them in different ways than the the hinge and the squat. And I can tell you from my years of doing uh, jujitsu up to this point, it's it makes sense now because you definitely realize that bridging off of the ground is a is a functional movement pattern that your ability to move on the ground and and create space and power in that way is essential to uh to to wrestling to grappling which like it or not it's in your dna like everybody listening to this is here because someone in your past fought and 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 did well enough to come out on top and so all of us have this in our dna and our body is set up and designed for these movement patterns. And so again, like fleeing, fighting, and screwing, like that's our that's what we're we're designed to do. So these uh you know the the bridging pattern definitely works the body in different ways and deserves to to uh, I, I believe when you when you don't have a good functional bridge, you don't have a good functional lower body. And so the the hip thrust the weighted hip bridge was the his attempt to figure out how do I load the bridge because the bridge is a great exercise but it's a body weight exercise so eventually you get loaded with how much tension that you can create with just body weight and so the the attempts to load it like I I actually remember this like the whole evolution of of seeing like these videos of people doing bridges while holding um, barbells on their their hips and they would run into problems because you know, when you get to the top position of a regular bridge, there's an angle and, and the bar wants to roll towards your face. And so you start getting limited by how much, you know, how much weight you can lift by how much you can hold in that top position. And so then they started putting the the benches behind people's backs so that it was at that top position, they were locked out on a table and not at an angle. And so that allowed them to lift more weight uh, in, in, in a safer manner. And so, and then now this has spawned all sorts of uh, machines and, and other things that you can use to work this movement as well. But at the heart of it, the whole idea is how do we increase the tension? How do we load this movement so we can increase the tension and the strength of this movement? And so for me, I, it was funny that I I'd stumbled upon this before I come to this at all. Again, some light bulbs were going off in my head. But this is why the ramping isometric glute bridge is so damn effective and why I love it so much because 
it achieves what the hip thrust is trying to achieve where you're able to load the movement because you're you're stopping short of lockout and you still have that intention of of driving up and locking out and you're, you're driving into this immovable object uh you know the belt or rope or whatever you have tied around your hips that that creates the the high degrees of tension within that movement pattern the muscles used for especially the glutes like i've never felt my glutes uh like i have with that exercise like that was the one that sold me on the value of ramping isometrics because i was like man if i'm feeling my glutes like this like i'm missing something with my regular training and so but the ramping isometric version is uh it's you don't have to go through the whole convoluted setup of getting on a bench and dealing with all of that you're able to do just a regular bridge off of the floor you're also not having to deal with the with loading it because you're just using the isometric contraction and so you're not having to move and so i i actually i think the hip thrust the the loaded glute bridge deserves a place in your training but for me it's the it's taken care of with the ramping isometric glute bridge and i don't have any plans to add loaded moving hip thrusts into my uh training program i just don't think that they the the risk to benefit ratio isn't where it, it isn't high enough or good enough whichever way that goes it's not good enough based uh compared to a ramping isometric one there's nothing that you're getting that you're not getting from the ramping isometric version but but you are exposing yourselves to risks and dangers and stuff uh that you don't have with the ramping isometric one so for me it's kind of a no-brainer um but anyway so the other big takeaway that i took from this was that the hips when you look at the muscles of the hips especially the deep internal hip rotators they look like fans you know they're the the muscle fibers are spread out in multiple directions and the hips are designed to move and create force and absorb force in multiple planes. And so, you know, working on rotation uh, as well as adduction, um, you know, mo- working in, in multiple uh, planes and movements. Um, again, it's one of the things that I, I've noticed from uh, jujitsu is a lot of the hip movements that we have to do. It's not just bridging up. You bridge up. Then you also have to, to rotate as you're bridging up. And so and that was one of the hardest things for me to 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 get down at first was with moving on the ground was I was strong up and down but those that, those rotationals movements and, and the strength behind them weren't there and so the um but there's uh you know a lot of different ways you can train those outside of you know jujitsu but it just you know again I'm watching this and I'm getting these light bulbs going off like oh that's why moving was so hard at first because my muscles weren't trained, my hips weren't trained for those muscles to be working like that. And so, uh, but it's designed to work like that. You need them to work like that. You want to train them to work like that. And so that's where he, uh, you know, talks about not just the bridge, but also doing adductions and rotations um, and making sure that you're, you're programming them in to train the hips fully. And so for me, he, he talked about doing a three minute like glute circuit. He's got this uh, uh, you know, band, he calls it the hip circle, I think, that goes around the top of your knees. So just think like a giant elastic, well, it's not elastic, but it's, uh, anyway, just think like a giant band uh, uh, that stretches, right? And so he'll have them do, his clients do like 30 seconds of an exercise and then switch to another exercise and just keep going for three minutes. So basically three movements. And so like, you know, adduction, stepping side to side and then keeping your knees wide and walking forward from monster walks and then, you know, knees in and knees out and, you know, just different movements that work the, the, the glutes, especially that rotation, 
um, an, an adduction element that we don't get a lot of usually. And so it can be just as simple as that, like having a, a three-minute circuit at the end of your training that uh, does that. So I'll probably post a video at some point um, going over some of the stuff I've been doing with that uh, since I came back. But those are, I, I definitely took some things well, one, it just reinforced why I like the ramping isometric glute bridge, and I'm just going to make sure that it's in my program every week now. And I also am adding in that three-minute glute circuit at the end of my workouts to make sure that I'm hitting these other uh, elements that aren't necessarily getting trained as much. And so trying to round out the old glute training and see how that uh, improves my riding and my you know rolling as well. So um, so anyways, that's uh, what I got from the, the glute training uh, one, the also got some good stuff. Uh, Dan John, who again, one of my, um, you know, really mentors in this whole strength coaching field. And, uh, he was there and got a chance to hang out and talk with him and his presentations are always great. I love them because they, they simplify things, man. There's, there's, it's so easy to get lost in, in the information age. There's so many great things that you can do that you end up doing nothing. And so, Dan's really good about simplifying things and stripping them down and making you go, oh, yeah, okay, why didn't I see that before? A whole lot. And so uh, some of the stuff that I got from his talk was that um, what you measure needs to be right. I think this is really important for people because it needs to reflect the reality of the situation and you know practice versus competition. And so I, I talk about this a lot with, with mountain bikers where they get better at training, but they don't actually necessarily get better on the trail, you know, and, and so there's a disconnect there. There's these training programs that they're doing and they're usually like very cardio intensive, very little, you know, strength training or mobility training or skills training. And they're, they, you know, maybe they see some results initially on the trail, but eventually they, they plateau but they keep seeing better results in training. You know, they're seeing the, the their wattage go up and their miles and all this stuff, but it's not translating to the trail. And the reason is because they're not, they're training, what they're measuring isn't reflecting the reality of the trail. And so therefore their training is off because they're, what they're training doesn't reflect that reality either. And so it's, it's really important that you just, you take a step back and you look at like, what is the reality of what I'm training for? And okay, great. Now, what is the best ways to train for that reality? And so mountain bikers, we are, we're not a classic endurance athlete, right? Like, you know, we are an endurance athlete, but we're not the same as a road cyclist or a marathon runner or some of these classic endurance athletes. We're more of a strength and power endurance athlete. The, the strength and power, we're, we're closer to that end of the spectrum than we are the pure endurance side. And so, uh, we, you want to make sure that those things are being addressed. It's also a very high skill sport. There's a, a high technical skill element that isn't there in uh, you know for a sport like road cycling. And so the you need to make sure that that's being addressed both in the training program that you're doing to help you address the movement patterns responsible for the skills, and then also having a way to apply those skills either through training or focus practice on the trail. But, you know, this thing, these things need to be part of your training if you are a mountain biker because that reflects the reality of what it is to be a mountain biker. So just jumping on a trainer and going through a Sufferfest video, in my opinion, isn't training. Like that's just, 
you know, burning calories and making yourself feel like you're doing something. But, uh, um, anyways, that's just my, uh, uh, um, opinion and also seems to be reflected in what Dan's found as well in working with athletes. He had a, uh, a really, a cool phrase that I liked. He, uh, it was metabolic degeneration and it's basically the results of inactivity. And I, I don't know. I just like that thought. Like, yes, there are, there are negative consequences to inactivity and when you give it a name as ominous as metabolic degeneration it really makes you want to not suffer from it you know so spending all day just sitting around at a desk or uh, whatever it is like man you got to make sure you're getting up and being active on a regular basis Uh, and again I think some writers fall prey to this where they're like oh I'm really active on the weekends and so and then they're not active much at all during the week and it has to be a consistent thing like you know you not being active for f- 5 days like you have accrued some metabolic degeneration and now you're going into the weekend trying to ride your bike and have fun with this accrued you know you're not in the same position and and so anyways it's this uh um you know one step forward two steps back kind of approach that ends up um biting you in the butt in the end but uh, so yeah, don't fall victim to metabolic degeneration. Uh, he um, likes to break things down into grades, right? And and, and he he bases this off of the Pareto principle. So it, this is the principle that says that twenty percent, eighty percent of your results come from twenty percent of the effort that you could put into it. And so his uh, suggestion is that. Obviously, you figure out what those things are. Like, what are the things that you're putting in the least amount of effort and seeing the greatest returns for? Like, those things get an A grade, okay? And and you want to focus on those things. And so, for mountain bikers, I, I mean, honestly, uh, strength and mobility training are those things that you know you get plenty of cardio training already from riding your bike. And so, the the training time that you have. You know, working on things like skills, strength, and mobility, these are those things that are going to give you the biggest bang for your buck uh, on the trail. Um, the B grades are the, the ones where you're getting, um, putting in, ah, what is it here? Oh, it's uh, 2080. Yeah, or no, 8080. What is it here? I ca- you know, my notes are a little off here, so... The, uh, um, yeah, you got 80-20, you got 20-20, which are your C grades, you get rid of them. So anyways, sorry, my notes are, I was trying to keep up, he had a lot of good stuff. My notes are a little scribbly, but it's basically a way of trying to rank stuff where you're trying to figure out, like, what do I want to focus on and what do I want to get rid of and what can I experiment with? But again, like, just having an idea of what that is, um, is, uh, is, is important. So the a couple other points he had that were good, you know, you want to be consistent for progress. You want to have variety for plateaus and randomness for fun. So a couple things to take from that. One, consistency needs to be the key. Like people think that they want uh, different stuff. This is one of the reasons that, you know, CrossFit can, CrossFit style workouts can uh, have so-so results for some athletes because just the randomness factor, it starts to be a little bit too much. And so having some consistency with your training is important for just progressing. If you don't have some sort of consistency, how do you know how you're progressing? Uh, Variety is good for plateaus. You know, so when you do reach a sticking point with your performance, okay, this is where we want to look at what can we add in. Uh, And then randomness for fun. Now, 
notice that variety and randomness are two different terms. Uh, people use them interchangeably, but variety is changing things up for a specific purpose. And again, this is why variety is for plateaus. Like you are taking something out and putting something else in or adding something else in or you know whatever it is, but you're you're adding that variety in for a very specific purpose. You've analyzed what do I need and and what are some different ways to go about trying to address those needs and okay, now that's what I'm going to try. Randomness is where you're just like, "Eh, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's just for fun." And there is a difference there. And so you want to, you know, uh, again, understand the difference um, and, and don't call randomness variety and because they're, they're different things. Variety has a focus and a purpose to it while you're, inter- while you're injecting it. But uh, anyway, so um, just some thoughts from that one. The last talk that I went to was really, uh, really interesting. And... The there's a guy named Michel Michel Dolcourt. He is a a strength coach who's invented the Viper. If you've ever seen that, or you can just Google it. It looks like a big log, basically with uh, uh, it's a rubber log with handles cut into it, so you can hold it in different positions and stuff. And so uh, once I started listening to his talk, it started making a lot more sense, like the the use for the tool. And it was actually, uh, I got some of the best lessons from this talk uh, because it tied together for me a lot of the things that I've been experiencing myself with uh, the, the steel mace and Indian club training that I've been doing for the last couple of years and how it's really changed my outlook on, you know, the strength training and, 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 and how we can improve it for uh, function. And so... The, the big takeaways from this uh, was that the, there's a difference in tension, right? So when you, uh, there's, uh, when you have a, a load, right? So say you get a kettlebell and you, and you pick it up into the rack position, you're going to do a shoulder press. This is a compression-based tension, right? You have weight and gravity pulling straight down and it's compressing your body, compressing the joints. And the, this type of tension targets the muscle fibers more directly. It targets the contractile portions of the muscle fibers and their ability to create tension and exert force against this compressive load. The other type of tension that exists is leverage-based tension. So say you took a 10-pound weight and you held it out to the side. Well, your muscles, your, your shoulder muscles, uh, get tight. There's, there's tension there. You have to get tight to hold that weight out there. And in some cases, it can be just as tight, if not tighter and more tiring than the compression-based tension that you're if you know, holding a kettlebell or a dumbbell in the rack position to do a shoulder press. And, you know, it seems obvious once you point it out, but, but these are two different types of tension and your body will adapt to them in different ways. And so with the leverage-based tension, like I mentioned, the, the compression-based targets the muscle fibers, the, the muscle belt bodies themselves more, and the leverage-based tension is more targets more of the fascia and the stability of the fascia. So it, it stimulates collagen to build up 
along these lines of stress and, and literally your your fascia and your tissues will remodel along these lines of stress and collagen is an important factor in stability so what you're basically doing is creating more stability in these positions so that's the difference between your compression and your leverage base and this is also the difference between your farm boy versus gym boy strength right like we've all heard this this you know thought quashed question analogy whatever you want to call it where we're like okay you take a farm boy and you know and someone who's strong in the gym and you know a lot of times it's like who would you rather have on your team you know football team well you want the farm boy you know wrestling team you want the farm boy it's like you know a lot of times it's this the 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 uh example being used is that the farm boy is who you want more often than not no matter what the situation is compared to gym boy because you know if you put the gym boy and the and the farm boy in the gym right that isolated environment well gym boy is going to going to do better you know he may lift more weight than him in some lifts but i'll tell you farm boy is going to do surprisingly well right well then you get both of them on a farm and they're doing what farm boy does you know baling hay and and you know digging post holes and carrying buckets of water and stuff and you know whatever it is they do on farms man and getting after it and you put those two guys and have them do a day's work and farm boy is going to work circles around gym boy and the gym boy is going to do surprisingly bad right but then you put them both in some sort of environment like a sports environment and again like wrestling is a good one you have you put them in a wrestling on a wrestling mat and have them slap hands and go and farm boy is going to wipe the mat with him you know and why is this like this is the thing and everyone's like ah oh, you know it's I, I don't know like this it's this simple like this is it leverage base base strength that your farm boy is dealing with a higher de- percentage of leverage based tension there's still compression based tension right but he deals with far more leverage based tension than gym boy does and so that means that his fascia has literally developed more collagen and stability which is why when you get out into the real world where a lot of the stuff that we do in the real world again it's not all but the higher degree the higher percentage of stuff that we're doing is leverage based tension and so if you don't train it you're going to be really weak with it and that's why people who train it you know they come from these manual labor jobs the 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 you know quote unquote farm boy and they've been working these leverage based tension uh lines way more than people who just work out in the gym and so it's a big glaring gap that we have in our our training programs is is looking at them through this this prism of leverage versus compression based tension and i guarantee you i'm guilty of this right like i i look at the programs a lot of the programs that i've written in the past uh have definitely been very biased towards compression based tension but this really pulls together in my mind why maces and indian clubs are such an important training tool and why they're so valuable for us especially as mountain bikers because for us we don't there's not a whole lot of that compression there's definitely some right like having to absorb a hard hit um you know there's definitely some compression tension that we're having to deal with on the trail but a lot of what we're dealing with is more of a leverage based tension and so you know again this is one of the reasons that people have complained about not necessarily seeing the best 
results from strength training. Again, I think that a you know a good training program, even based on compression based exercises, can still deliver great results. You know, a lot of it depends on what you're doing, but I think that this is the reason that it's still debatable in in a lot of people's minds as to like what kind of results they're seeing from strength training in their sport is because strength training traditionally focuses on compression-based exercises and ignores the leverage-based stuff, whereas the leverage-based stuff is what these athletes and, and us as mountain bikers need. And so I just know for myself, like my gym lifts have never, you know, they're, they're not terrible. I don't even know what they are, right? I, I, but I know they're nowhere near what they once were, yet my sport-specific strength is the highest it's ever been. And a big reason for that is the intensive training I've been doing with the steel clubs and the the, uh, the steel clubs, the steel maces and the Indian clubs, and uh, yeah, just the results that I've gotten from them. But it's 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 great. I was really pumped to hear his talk because he he really pulled together a lot of things for me and and helped me articulate and explain what is the difference between training with like a kettlebell versus a steel mace a kettlebell is a compression based tool a tension tool a steel mace is a leverage based one and so uh for me the the steel mace is, has provided much better results for me with much less wear and tear because you're not getting with compression based stuff you're getting a lot of loading of the joints a lot of direct compression on the joints which can lead to wear and tear and so the the leverage based stuff is isn't nearly as uh compressive on your joints obviously so but again the takeaway for me was just doubling down on why these things are so important for you know like important training tools for us to start exploring and incorporating into training more and so i'm definitely going to be doing that i've got plans for some programs that'll be incorporating these tools more because uh, i want to make sure that people have good resources for how to use them correctly but uh, or at least is what avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. Uh, I won't say correctly, but at least try to avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. Um, but the uh, yeah, my point is is you know looking at your training through that prism, through that lens, can definitely change things a little bit. And so, uh, but it's, it's it's extremely important because, uh, like I said, you, you're when you're looking at the real world, that leverage based stuff is extremely important. So, anyways. Um, trying to see if there was any other takeaways that I had. Uh, really, that was my big takeaways from the presentations that I saw. You know, my big aha moments or some light bulb things going off, and there was definitely some great stuff there. Like I said, I thought Michel uh, Dalcourt had one of the best talks there. Unfortunately, he was on the last day when most people had already left, so I don't think a lot of people really got a chance to hear him talk and and appreciate what he was saying. Which kind of leads me to my last observation before I sign off, and I don't want to seem too negative, but I was a little disappointed to see that the. It seems like the functional training movement is kind of stalled out a little bit. It. I was really a little underimpressed, to be honest with you, with uh, just you know, I don't. I don't know exactly how to put it. It just seems like the same stuff just being told in a different way. And if I could sum it up, it seems to be correctives plus kettlebells. Like that, that seems to be it. Like, like you, you uh, put someone through a, a screen, you give them a bunch of correctives, and then you put a kettlebell on their hand and start teaching them how to do a swing and, or, you know, get up or whatever it is. And, and that that's, 
that's functional training and that uh, people seem to have their minds made up as to exactly what that is. And so, but like I said, there's a lot of things that I've been, I've come across in the last few years, the, the steel maces and Indian clubs, the ramping isometrics. There's a, uh, definitely some, some training tools and techniques out there that have a lot to offer us in this goal of trying to find the best way to create efficient training programs that give you the best results, uh, in, in off of the, you know, on and off the bike. And so, uh, I, yeah, it was, I, I hope that we see more, you see companies like on it, uh, they're doing a really good job with their education side with, with some of these components. Um, so there's definitely some, some people out there and I just, I hope that perform better is able to evolve with the times because I think that they've kind of, uh, it's an important time for them to kind of figure out like where they're going to go with this stuff. And I think the biggest example of that, and this was like my, Oh God, this just irked me so bad when I saw it. Like I saw a whole bunch of steel maces sitting over in a corner when I got to, when I got there in one of the, uh, the, the hands-on rooms that they had. And I was like, Oh, okay. They got some steel maces. This is cool. Cause I've been looking around. I, I got my, my finger on the pulse of the steel mace community and just kind of seeing who's, who's getting into with the education side and, and, you know, making, a, you know, selling the equipment and stuff. And so I'd never seen perform better's name involved with any of the things I'd seen or any of the searches. And so I was a little surprised to see it. And I was wondering, man, what, I just haven't seen these things. So I look in their catalog and I see that they're there, but they've got them. They're called lever bells. And man, I almost lost it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. They are making up a name, Leverbell, which is obviously, you know, trying to keep with kettlebell. Everything has to be a bell because of kettlebell. And again, it's just like, we can't get past this kettlebell thing. And so the Leverbell, like we cannot encourage this. I perform better. Like it's ridiculous that people for marketing purposes would uh make up a name like a lever bell but it's uh anyways i think that it's just kind of indicative of them not knowing exactly what to do with it and and uh kind of fighting the movement behind it that you know you want to get with the movement not try to create your own thing um so anyways like i said they perform better overall they do a great job um put on a lot of great events and uh, like I said, just I kind of came away with this feeling that it's an interesting time for the functional training world because there are these things on the horizon that are going to really challenge a lot of what we thought we knew about training. And, and people forget, right? Like, again, the functional training movement began with us just changing what boxes we were checking when creating training programs. People forget this, right? Like, you know, hip hinge, squat, push, pull. These are just boxes that, that somebody made up for us to check when we're, when we're making a training program. Now, they proved to be better boxes than what we were checking with bodybuilding. With bodybuilding, it was chest and back and buys and tries. You know, that, that's how you wrote a training program is you had these, these, these were the boxes that you needed to check when, and make sure that you had these things covered. And then we came along with functional training. They're like, look, we don't, we, we move. We don't, we're not just parts. So we have, we squat, 
We don't just work quads. We, we hip hinge. We don't just work hamstrings, right? Like that was the, that was the idea. But what we did is we just created a different vocabulary for these boxes that, that we use to create training programs. And unfortunately, people become very, very comfortable with their vocabulary. And so the, the fight is going to be that some of these training tools are going to challenge us. We're not going to be able to use these neat little boxes of push, pull, squat, hinge that we've, we've become so comfortable with in the last decade or so. And, uh, but anyways, that's where the challenge in the future lies. And I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. I really feel like there's going to be some really cool stuff, uh, you know, coming out of the, the training world over the next few years with these tools. But I also think that unfortunately there will probably be some resistance just like there was and still is resistance from the, the bodybuilding establishment to the functional training movement because, you know, they're comfortable with their vocabulary. They're comfortable with how they view training. There will probably be some unfortunate pushback, especially from the kettlebell community with these new training tools because I think that unfortunately what we're going to find is that the, the kettlebell in particular is going to suffer from these new training tools that we're going to see that it is not as valuable and necessary a tool as we thought and that uh it's um anyways i I think that that's going to be where the big pushback is going to come from from the uh the kettlebell community being uh threatened from their place on top of mount functional fitness but uh anyways just my predictions we'll see what happens well, anyways, that's my uh, my summary of the Perform Better weekend. Uh, like I said, if you're a, a coach or a trainer and you have a chance to go to one of their events, I, I recommend it. You're definitely going to learn a lot, meet a lot of great people. They're such nice people. Uh, the presenters are approachable, and you get a chance to talk to them a lot of times. So uh, just really good opportunity to uh, to meet them. But, um, but yeah, in general, if you're uh, not a trainer, then just keep listening to my podcast and paying attention to the blog and I'll uh, keep you up to date on all the latest and greatest that I'm coming across myself. So uh, anyways, hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. You got any questions or anything, you can post a comment on this blog post that goes with the podcast. Hit me up at uh, james at bikejames.com. You can also go to bikejames.com and find more podcasts and also a bunch of free stuff that you can get, free workouts and other things that'll help you with your training and your riding and uh, just give you a better idea of what you can do to get the best results possible uh, on the trail with the least amount of time in the gym because, you know, that's really the ultimate goal. Um, well, anyways, so that's going to do it for this podcast. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed it, and I will talk to everybody next time.